Well, good morning to all of you, and I greet you this morning in the precious name of Jesus. It's because of Him that we are here this morning, I pray. I scrambled with some notes here last minute, um, trying to go step by step through a burden that was on my heart a few months ago, but I feel a little bit like uh, the situation when uh, me and my dad and my mom were up on the third story of a school in Reading, and that's in a fairly rough section of town. Um, when we were up on the third floor looking out the window, my mom made the comment, you know, I forgot my purse in the car. <clears throat> Them being country folk and we being in the city, it raised everybody's blood pressure of their of the family. I was like, oh, well, it'll be all right. Uh, Dad looked out the window and yelled, there's the purse. Somebody got the purse. And there just happened to be a pedestrian, right, innocent bystander, who had a purse that looked like mom's that happened to be walking past the car. Um, my dad turned and ran like I've never seen any man run. I, he, as I remembered it, he took four steps at a time running down the steps. Now that is really hard to do. I was taking two at a time and I was not catching up at all. My dad's not a marathon runner or anything like that, but he could really move. We got out there and the person was gone by that time. Um, and when we looked in the car, the purse was still there and we were still catching our breath. And I said, you know what just happened? Incredible. Now, I was trying to follow Dad step by step, but his steps were made in a way that it was impossible unless you had that much adrenaline running through your body. Sometimes preachers are that way. Uh, follow me step by step. We're going four at a time downhill. And people are like, just go ahead. Maybe we'll catch up later. Right? The prayer that I was meditating on this week is the one that I need help with. You can turn to Revelation chapter 1. The prayer is this in Psalm 19 verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. A lot of times that's the end of the verse for us. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now here's my confession. I, my mouth runs too much too many times. My thoughts run strange. Like, are those thoughts acceptable to God? This is David's prayer. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, what I love, what I'm thinking on, let that come before the throne room of God and God says, that is acceptable as a child of mine. And you know, that comes from the last phrase of that verse is so crucial. O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. A lot of times you think, oh yeah, well, I need to work on my words. I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I need to focus my mind. And, and there's, right, there's no more internet. There's no more politics. I'm gonna focus my meditation and get this right. 
hey, that's probably a good place to start. But you're not going to be able to do it on your own. It's His strength in your life is the only way we're going to get there. It's His strength in us that changes us. I don't personally have the strength to get this right. When He is my strength, in recognition that He is my Redeemer, He's the one who is redeeming my life from destruction. We have to recognize that fact or we're just going to wing it on our own. True recognition of our Lord as our strength and our Redeemer, I believe is a result of seeing Him for who He is. Seeing ourselves for who we are. And the difference there is called worship. When we recognize God for who He is. John Piper wrote, Worship is to know God truly, then to respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. I think we have a problem in our day, and it's not just a problem outside of the church walls. I think it's inside of the church walls. We don't know how to worship. I'm not saying we need a worship crew and whoop up some music and, you know, worship in scripture was always a very personal thing. It was when somebody stood off by themselves and whacked themselves on the chest. It was someone who fell at the feet of someone who was greater than him. If we fail in worship, we're headed for some really deep water as a church. We must be people who are personally worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I had you turn to the book of Revelation. A lot of times we look at Revelations and we think, you know, there's just so many things I don't understand about Revelation. I don't want to ask you when the last time you read the book of Revelation or in the book of Revelation. But we think, well, there's so many images that are absolutely confusing. Think about this in the book of Revelation. There is one focus. And that focus is worship. Worship Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the Lion, the King. Uh, You turn to any other book in the Bible and you're not going to see the deity of Jesus Christ in its fullness like you see in Revelation. Revelation is an absolute essential book for us to learn how to worship because it gives us a picture of who Jesus is in His rightful place. And as we see that, we ourselves are struck with wonder and with worship for who He is in recognition of how small we are, how much we need His strength to live His will, how much we need His redemption in our lives. I think that's the one thing we need to understand in the book of Revelation. A right understanding of God's nature is a right valuing of God's worth. As I consider the prayer, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. We have some pretty chintzy excuses for saying my words weren't right and my meditation wasn't right. Have you seen the direction our country is going? Excuse number one. Now, because of that, my meditation can be all over the board. I can be Mr. Negative. Don't have to follow Philippians 4.8. Okay. I'm stressed. I'm just really stressed. 
And that's why I said what I did because I'm really stressed. You know, my personality is type A, right? And so because my personality is like it is, I said what I did. And our favorite is, you know, if you would know what I'm going through, then you can excuse what, why my thoughts are going like this in a wrong direction. And you could excuse the things that I say because if you know what I'm going through. But do we understand the root problem? If I don't meditate right, if I'm not speaking the words of my mouth in honor of Jesus Christ, what is the root problem? I lack worship in seeing the Almighty God in His beauty. In seeing His, His, the beauty of His excellency. And then aligning my life unto that. And worshiping for who He is. There's no one here who worships that is the same after they worship as before they worship. There's a change that comes in our life because of that connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why worship is so important. People who are overcome with awe. And I'm not going to ask you, I'm not trying to put you on the spot by saying, when's the last time you had more than just a personal devotions? When's the last time you looked at the Bible as more than a self-help? You know, I can get this. I can really get this. I can study this. I can learn this. When's the last time you actually looked at the Bible in a personal way and you came to true worship? A sincere awe before God of His greatness. I don't want to ask you when the last time that came your way is because I'm not here to put you on the spot. I'm here to say we need to learn this. We need to be people who are worshiping. Warren Wiersbe's quote, we stated, he stated this, too many currently written songs are I-centered rather than Christ-centered. They so emphasize the believer's experience that they almost ignore the Lord's glory. There's certainly a place for a believer's experience, but nothing compares to adoring Christ in spiritual worship. You know, we focus even in our song, in our life song, so many times our life song is, let me tell you about my experience. Let me tell you about the weather that we've been having on my patch, right? Let me tell you about how things are going in my world. And let me tell you how Jesus has helped me in such and such a thing. But where, where you see a person who is in awe of Jesus Christ and lifting Him up in worship... You will get more sustenance, more encouragement from that brother, from that sister than someone who can share the smoothest testimony that has the word I in it. Someone who is adoring Christ in spiritual worship. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. When John saw this, he was overwhelmed with three responses. And I believe these things are always in worship. Studying at last minute, I don't have time to make something to put up there that you can read easily. I want you to think about these three things. When you see Jesus for who He is, there's a love supremely. That like, it's an overcome by awe of how He could love me. But one thing I know is you fall deeply in love with Him if you see Him for who He is. The second thing I see is an absolute confidence and absolute total trust in someone who is worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third thing I see every time is a desire for holiness. A desire to be like Him. There's no one who's going to see Jesus face to face and say, you know, I thought I would be ready for this moment. Here I am. Everyone that sees Him face to face is going to be overcome with a desire of Woe is me, like Isaiah, he says, I'm undone. The essence of worship. If you can gain a picture of who Jesus really is and see the picture in His Word, and the picture brings your heart to worship, there'll be this sense of a supreme love. I see this here. Jesus didn't want John to have a just a fearful experience. He wanted him to be in true worship. True worship brings a love for Jesus that's supreme. And you know what it does? It overcomes all fears. Now, we live in a society that is extremely fearful. In fact, it's not just society. It's us. When we love Jesus supremely, there is no fear of death There is no fear of the future. There is no fear of what might happen if I don't manipulate and try to control others and control my spouse and control other things. There's no fear. Because it's all about loving Him supremely. There's no other greater joy for us. Supreme love casts out fear. And, you know, we look at this the same way. The reason I fear, well, I have stress. It's my personality. If you know what I'm going through, then you know that that's why I fear. Really? Is it because of what you're going through? Are you sure? 
There was a shooting at Walmart in Texas. And I'm not here to give you all the facts. I'm here to give you a couple facts. When this shooting started, most made a dash to get out. Most made a dash to run out. And there were a few that when they found out that the shooting started, they didn't run out. They ran in. See, something was more important to them than than themselves. There was a supreme love involved here. There were children that they loved more than themselves. Their own lives mattered to them less than furthering the cause of others who were there. And that's what happens with the true worshiper of Jesus Christ. There's a love supreme that the furtherance of Jesus Christ goes above their own. It's not about me. I'm going in. Where there's a problem like David, uh, who could stand a Goliath? Everybody was running out. And David, you know what David says? I'm going in. I'm running in. And it wasn't about David. It was about who can defy the Lord Jesus Christ. Who can defy the armies of God? God's name's at stake. I'm going in. That's, that's from a heart of worship. That's more than just saying, well, I read my Bible today. Let me say a quick prayer and we'll get our day started here. It comes from somebody who actually connected with value and valuing and esteeming God like He should and their heart was overcome with worship. And they are people who are running in. You know, your tendency is the same as mine. When things get difficult, it's time to do something else. It's time to run out. There's no one here who can say, you know, relationships are just really easy for me. If you're saying that, no one else around you is saying that about you. All right, That's just the way it is. We all have things where it's like, you know what? Unless there's a supreme love, you're going to walk. In fact, you're not going to just walk. Sometimes you're going to run. And when we understand what love supreme is, you're going to understand the connection of how Jesus loves you. That love will be returned in a supreme way. And you're going to be the one who says, I'm not going out. I'm going in if there's trouble. I don't think we can find a better example of this than Job. You talk about situational ethics being okay. You can come and ask Job, Job, everything's gone wrong. You have, as of the last ten minutes, no children, no houses left over, no animals. You went from being a billionaire to nothing. You know, it's time to process this a little bit, Job. Take a little bit of time off of church. Be by yourself. Think this through. Try to get something focused. Job's wife says, Job, if you're going to be sane, you need to be running out. You know what Job said? I'm running in. I'm running in. 
I'm serving Him. I'm going to be faithful. And there's one reason He could be faithful. And that isn't because He pulled Himself up by His bootstraps and says, my strength, my commitment, my determination is going to get me through this. He was saying, oh Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. That's how I'll make it through. There was a worship connection Job had with God. This thing of worship is so important. You know, I, I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm just saying, I think the reality is there's too many spiritual lives that are stuck. There's no growth. They're continuing traditions by and large, but the spiritual reality is there are 60-year-old spiritual babies all around us. There's 40-year-old spiritual babies all around us. Because they're not in the process of being changed. I'm not saying they're not trying. I'm not saying they're giving it their best, prying with a two-by-four to make it better. I'm saying they're not seeing Him who is invisible and worshiping. Um, just like Second Corinthians says, when we with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Okay, when you see that and, and there's worship, we are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of Christ. There's something about worship, friends, that we must have in our personal lives. It must be there for us to grow. If it's not there, we are stuck where we're at. Worship is essential. The second thing I see is a total, absolute confidence, absolute trust. It's impossible to worship if you don't have absolute, undivided, total confidence in the one that you're worshiping. You know, this is how we come across. How will God sort this out? How many of you were born as a Muslim? Zero. What would be your chances of being where you're at today if you were born as a Muslim? How's God going to sort that out? Could that, is that fair? You're a rich man in northern Wisconsin. You've got all you want. And if you don't, you can get it sometime in the future. Is that fair? How's God going to sort this out? I have this to say about the question. We don't even understand the question, let alone the answer, if it was given to us. In our age, we think we're big thinkers who ask hard questions. How can God judge fairly and quickly by our reasoning ability, we lose an absolute confidence, a complete trust that God is perfect. Did you hear me? God is perfect in judgment. God is perfect in wisdom. God is perfect in compassion. There is no one, I don't care how big of a thinker you are, that can perfect God's compassion more than it's been perfected. God is perfect in these things. And He is perfect in equity. I fear that instead of being a big thinker, times of doubt, I was actually a little thinker who couldn't muster up the ability to trust the One who knows all things. And all is in all capital letters. 
We're a little thinker if we can't muster up the courage to trust the one who knows everything about you, about them, about how they understood the truth, about how you understood the truth, about how you fulfilled your obligation to the truth and how they did, we can trust Him in absolute, total confidence. He is perfect. You can't trust, you can't worship one. You can't worship anyone when their confidence is, or total trust is at about a 99%. That 1% got you throttled. You can't come and bring your heart to worship because there's this niggling doubt. What if it isn't right? He says here in Revelation, it's a beautiful, authoritative passage. He says, I am the first and last. The end of verse 17. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. John lived with an absolute confidence for this life because he knew Jesus had the keys of death. John lived with an absolute confidence in the next life because he knew he had the keys of hell. He had the keys for this life. He had the keys for the next. But not only that, Jesus says, I am the first and I am the last. That is a precious statement. A.W. Tozer describes it this way, Many little men who have shook their tiny fists in frustrations and said many things against God called God fake, blasphemed God's name, shook their fists in defiance. Go ahead, little man, make your bold statement, but know this, you won't have the last word. Because God is every man's creator, and He always has the last word. Always. There's no man who's going to say, you know, God, this wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. It really wasn't fair. And I need to correct you as you look back on, no man has the last word. God is the first and the last. He's the Alpha and Omega. He begins it and He always has the last word. Now we get sidetracked sometimes by these little men who shake their fists. And that little man is too many times, me and you, who say, God, how can this work? How really can it work? Show me how it can work. And he says, just trust me. I got the last word. I got the first word. He spoke us into existence. He always has the last word. A total trust. That comes from worship. comes from seeing Him for who He is. And then there's this total confidence, this value that we put upon God that is beyond us. And we realize we can totally trust Him. You look back at Job, he's the exact example, perfect example of this as well. Job, what's going on? I think one thing is for certain is that you can't be certain anymore. You can't live with total confidence and trust. You know what Job's response is? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This was total. And it wasn't just because he went to church and heard and sang and, and tried to do what's right. It's because his personal life was a life where he would worship God. And that worship changed him. He wasn't a 60-year-old. He wasn't a 30-year-old. He wasn't a 20-year-old baby. That, that worship changed him from glory to glory. That when those tough times came and everything shook loose, he says, that's the one thing I can be sure of. Though he slay me, 
I know, I know God is good. I'm on His side. The last thing I want to cover is when, whenever someone was worshiping in the presence of God, all of them had this same acknowledgement. A desire to be like Him. That was part of that worship. More than a preacher getting up and saying, you need to change this and you need to change this and here's your to-do list. Right? Was the Holy Spirit in personal devotion saying, you know something, as you are in the presence of God, you have a true sense of this time on Facebook, that isn't right. This time spent quibbling about politics, that isn't right. This time where you spoke and you failed to say, forgive me, I was wrong, that isn't right. And in worship, when we truly worship, we come to a spot where we desire to be like Him. There's nobody having to push us. There's an inbuilt desire as we see Jesus in His glory that we want to be like Him. You see this in Isaiah. You see this in John. John realized he wasn't like Him and he fell down as dead before Jesus Christ. A desire to be like Him. This truly comes from true worship. You can't subtract these three. You can't say, well, I got the first one, but I struggle with the last two. These come from worship. Even in Job, a desire to be like Him. I love the prayer that Job makes in Job 23. He says, But He knoweth the way that I take, and when He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Because He was in a worshipful experience in His relationship with God, Okay, here's my perspective if I would have been sitting in Job's seat. You know, the Lord is probably taking me through this situation to teach my four buddies over here that they're clueless. And so He's using me as an example to try to help these these young squirts to get it. But that's not Job. Job says, when I get through this fire, I am going to be made pure. And that's the same man who in chapter 1, before all this goes on, it says he was a perfect and an upright man. One who feared God and eschewed evil. But that didn't mean Job found this plateau. Alright? He's growing, he's growing, and he made it. Now, he, he's, he's a perfect man. He's an upright man. He has integrity. And he eschews evil. He, he made the plateau. Now he can look and act and talk the same the rest of his life. No, every time Job was in the presence of God, he realized something from worship. A continual life perspective. He's going to bring me forth purer than when I went into this. Worshippers overcome the idea of being impressed with themselves. You know, that's our number one problem. As a Mennonite church, as Methodists, as Wesleyans, as you name whatever name you want on there, our number one problem is we get impressed with ourselves. That's our number one problem. You want the number one problem of church uh, individuals. We become impressed with ourselves. 
And when we're impressed with ourselves, friends, that makes us in the image, not of Christ, but of Satan. He's the one who started the mess of saying, I will lift up myself. I will impress myself. When we're impressed with ourselves, friends, there's no worship that can happen. We're not struck with the awe of the one who's greater than us. When we're truly struck in worship as we look and behold who Jesus Christ truly is, there's no one who says, wow, look at me. There's everyone who goes lower with a realization of who they truly are. The results of worship, there's a supreme love, there's a total trust, there's a desire to be more like Him. You know, I don't know your personal life. I know what your last name is, your first name is. I know most of you in a fairly good way, but I have no idea what your true connection is between you and worship of a holy God. I don't know if you are actually living in awe of Him. There's some people who are obviously not living in awe of Him. But we know how to act. But are we being changed from glory to glory? Is there a deeper work going on that when calamity comes, we're a people, because of our supreme love for God, it's His name that goes first. And we're a people who are running in rather than the people running out. You know, as I read Revelation, the word worship is in there numerous times. And many, many times he says, worship Him. Worship Him. Worship Him. I've meditated on this fact. You know, we have a lot of entertainment. and Entertainment today is is free for the most part. You, You don't have to pay to go to see a movie. You don't even have to pay to get a game. On your phone. You don't have to pay to get an app. There's some that you do, but by and large, I mean, we live in a society that's feeding us with free stuff. Who would have ever imagined all the free apps, the free movies, the free downloads that waste our time to the point that we fail to spend time in worship? We're trading. We're trading for a bowl of pottage. It's, I find that in my own life. Too many times I trade for a bowl of pottage. <clears throat> As I look at Revelation, this is exciting news. Is Jesus is being worshipped today. There's some people today who aren't sleepy. I don't want to surprise you, but they're not sleepy today. There's some people, because of the freshness of Jesus Christ, there's a new vision that they smite their chest and say, God, change me. I want to be changed. God is being worshipped today. The question is, am I in on it? That's the question. A man was carried in a dream to a church. In his vision, he saw the organist playing the organ, but no sound was heard. The choir in the congregation began to sing, but their voices were not heard, only their lips moved. The minister began to energetically pray. No tones came from his lips, only his lips moved. The man turned to his angel guide. The angel said, you hear nothing? 
because there's nothing to hear. These people are engaged in worship, but only in the form of worship. Their hearts are not touched. And this silence is a silence that is yet unbroken in the presence of God. But listen. And listening, the man heard a child's voice, clear and distinct in all the silence of the congregation. While the minister continued to pray, while the people seemed to join, only the child's voice was heard because only the child's heart was touched. That, said the guide, is the only true worship in all that great church. All the others were concerned with but the appearance of worship. If you're able to kneel, would you kneel for prayer? Lord, I thank you for your word and the picture it shows us of who Jesus Christ truly is. Lord, we've become a people who run, sometimes don't even know where we're ending up or which way we're running or going because so many things are calling our attention in today. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who truly worship, who recognize Jesus Christ for who He is, that we can see who He truly is and gain that picture through Your Word. And Lord, that from that experience of aligning our hearts with yours, we would learn truly how to supremely love, how to totally trust, and that by the aid of your Holy Spirit, we would truly learn to be more like you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.